Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. Today, I'm thrilled to share with you a conversation that I got to have with one of the most powerfully brave and truly courageous women I have had the pleasure of speaking with. Ambra Gutierrez. Ambra is a Filipina-Italian model, humanitarian, and one of the first women to accuse former producer Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault. Ambra played an integral role in exposing the sexual abuse allegations against Weinstein with her involvement in a sting operation alongside the New York Police Department. She is one of Weinstein's many victims, but Ambra is the one who managed to get him admitting to sexually assaulting her on tape. And if you followed the development of the Weinstein story or read the book Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow, you'll know that that tape was buried by a bunch of very powerful people who didn't want the story to come out. Ambra persisted. She has since become a vocal supporter of the Me Too movement and uses her platform to fight back against flagrant abuses of power while helping to empower others through her involvement with various incredible humanitarian organizations. She has partnered with the Model Alliance's Leadership Council, which aims to create a safe and fair workspace for other models. She works closely with Humanility, which provides shelter and assistance to impoverished children worldwide. 
And she is involved with Safe Horizon, the largest victim services nonprofit organization in the United States, providing social services for victims of abuse and violent crime. Ambra continues to work tirelessly to encourage structural changes in the fashion industry that combat sexual harassment. In our conversation, we'll discuss what life was like for her following the Harvey Weinstein accusations, her childhood growing up in Italy, her deeply uncomfortable experience with former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, which occurred when she was just a teenager, how she got her start in the modeling industry and how her career has progressed, her efforts in fighting back against the gross abuse of power within the industry, which commodifies women and their bodies, and so, so much more. First of all, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you because I'm so inspired by your story and your life and your activism, and I'm really grateful to have you here. Thank you so much. Like, um, I mean, I, I feel that this story has to be told, and I'm not going to get tired of saying it because, like, I I feel that I, I went through all of this for a reason and it's for like helping others and teaching others how to probably, you know, like get through situation as I've been. So yeah, I, I feel that having you uh, interviewing me, it would be, it, it is like an amazing occasion to, you know, share again, like the story and hopefully have more people listening to it and learn. Mm. That's so cool. How how are you doing right now? I I know that before we started recording, we were talking about you know you having recently moved to Miami. Are are you holding up okay with the shutdowns and everything? Yeah, I mean, I moved here because my family it's all in Italy, and they were very worried when they heard that Corona hit New York, New York City, and and so they they told me like to get out of the city because they knew that unfortunately with uh, the amount of people being there and the not space, you know, because there is no mm. possibility to really social distance in New York, it would be very bad. And in fact, it happened, you know, like that many people got contagious. Um, a lot of my close friends got Corona, you know, like it was, it was really bad to see it. Um, and of course I didn't want to make my family worried. So, um, yeah, I decided to take a flight and come to, to Florida to, to stay safe at least. <laughs> and it's, it's working. Thankfully, you know, you can't really social distance. Yeah. And how has the last, I don't know, I'm wondering how the last couple of years have been for you and, and especially, I guess the last year since. Ronan Farrow's incredible book came out because obviously the piece in the New Yorker was such a bombshell and and really opened up this whole experience. And then as as a reader and as a person who cares about the issue, I think that the book really detailing things in in such long form and painting a picture for readers, obviously from his point of view as a, as a journalist, but, but of just how insidious this thing is and, and how frightening the 
sort of abuses of power can be in these powerful circles. Uh, what what has the experience for you been like since people have really been able to see inside of this, not just in, you know, some small mention or a Twitter headline, but in a real deep way? Yeah, um, I can say that through all the experience I you know, like I, I had with the Harvey Weinstein situation, I learned to, I learned to be very patient, first of all, and to have faith mm. that good things are gonna end in the right way. Let's say that I was sure about my truth. I was sure that I did the right thing. And I was sure that it was sort of like, uh, conspiracy against me back in 2015, where, you know, some people were trying to to keep things as uh, they were taking more advantage of. And I don't know why, but I'm, I'm, I believe a lot um, in God and I'm, 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 a, I'm a huge believer. And, and I was always very calm going through the thought that I lost everything in my life. So when the situation in 2015 happened, um, as you know, I was bashed um, mediatically, like worldwide. Like I was called a blackmailer, a liar, someone that wanted to just get famous and to make money. And instead I was sacrificing myself and everything for getting mm. the truth out. And um, I couldn't do it because... Maybe I was too young. I was 22 years old. I was speaking English since a couple of years. And, and probably, you know, I didn't know the right people. And, um, and that's it. The situation ended as I was, yeah, completely destroyed um, because my name wasn't, you know, anymore like the one that I am right now, you know, like I was just a liar, a prostitute or whatever else that they were like putting on Google <laughs> and mm. I had to give up on my dreams. So when all happened, I had to leave New York. Um, I went uh, to live in the Philippines where my mom country is from. And, um, and so I got there in very deep depression and gained a lot of weight because it was like stress eating and everything and tried to build up my life again. So mm. when I moved there, I learned to really get more in touch with my deep, you know, like feelings of pain and, and whatever else. And I learned how to go through it. I learned how to survive, let's say, uh, through all of this, because in my mind, I was thinking, okay, I can't do anything anymore. Even if I just try to date someone, people are scared of me because they Google me and they see like all of these things. And I will never be able to have a family or like even like a normal situation, not talking about my dreams of modeling or whatever else. I'm just talking about normal life because it happened actually. Mm. When I was dating someone, they would be like, yeah, but you know, like, I don't know how to, you know, present it to my family or like this kind of things, you know, because on the news, I was Amber, the blackmailer and whatever. So mm. I don't know. I always have faith in the fact that the truth will come out. And mm. so I spent a couple of years in the Philippines where I didn't model and I was just like trying to do a different life. And um, yeah, I... I, I just learned to 
be healthy again, to cop up with depression, to, you know, like learn new things. And I was, I was surfing. It was like doing this type of things that like, you know, before my life I was not doing. And then suddenly, like, I don't know where, like my mind was happy again, what my body was happy again. I was dedicating myself a lot into helping people there. Like I was uh, supporting these charities where they help like orphans in the Philippines. And so like I was uh, working with them and, and this type of thing. So then like when um, I had a bad breakup with, with um, my companion at the time, um, I was talking to my best friend in New York and he said, um, I think you should come back. Like you should come back here just for a little bit. So you feel better about, you know, your breakup and stuff like that. And, and I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go, you know, and it was February, 2017. Yeah. So about two years after. And, um, when I got to New York, you know, it was, it was weird to get back there because like when I left, uh, the situation was, um, of people not allowing me into clubs or restaurants or like, you know, like avoiding me because, wow. yeah, because I was the girl that, you know, everybody was afraid of, you know? And then when I got back instead, there was like people I say, Oh, hi, Amber, how are you? This and that. And like, I was starting to like, you know, get back to, to meeting some people, of course, like the ones that I thought were my friends and left me out of nowhere. I were out of my life and still are out, even if they're like, sorry and whatever. Um, mm. but yeah, I, I learned also to know who the real people are from, from this experience. So, but anyway, mm. when, um, when I was back, um, in New York in February, then I was there for like about three weeks and, and suddenly, like out of nowhere, um, Ronan contacted me. <laughs> and uh, I have to tell you, like every single day of my life after the, um, yeah, the situation of Harvey, I was checking the news um, to see if he would have hurt anyone else because I knew that, you know, that was something that he was doing a lot. And I knew because I'm, I'm going to tell you then all the experience, how it happened. And I was like, just searching. Cause I was, I, um, I, I said to myself, if he would do something like that to someone else, I would just speak. I would speak and I would not care what's going to happen. You know, I was like having all of this anger inside. Mm -hmm. Um, but for myself, I couldn't fight anymore. I don't know how to explain it. So. Anyway, like Ronan contacted me and then little by little, we started to, um, yeah, unfold everything. But hmm. uh, yeah, it, it was not easy. <laughs> it, it wasn't easy. I mean, my gosh, I can't, I can't imagine and I can imagine. I, I want to get into all of this and, and how it happened but first, I'd, I'd kind of actually like to go backwards before we go forwards. I, I really like to ask, you know, the people who I sit with how things began. Because to your point, so many people know you because of a Google search result or perhaps because they've, you know, seen your face in a campaign or, you know, the work that you do. But I'm curious, 
about Amber as a little girl, about, you know, where you grew up and, and what you loved when you were a kid. Can, can you start us kind of there? Yeah, no, of course. I, I grew up in Italy. I was born in this city called Torino. Um, <laughs> and like the type of girl that I was, was this girl that always liked to dream big, you know, to try to, you know, get to explore things and learn new things all the time. And, mm. and very stubborn. I'm still very stubborn. Like, <laughs> things has to be done my way, you know, like in, in, in the good, you know? And then, so like, I always, I don't know how to, to say it, but yeah, even my school choices were always done by the fact that, for example, I studied as a surveyor. Okay. Cause like it suddenly happened that when I was in secondary high school, there was this guy that I liked or whatever that, you know, like it was always teasing me about like, oh, you know, like you do always your nails and your makeup and you're always like very cute. You're going to end up like studying as a makeup parties or stuff like that. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm able to do whatever I want, you know, like it's not just because how I look or what I do that would like just allow me to a little small box of things, you know. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to decide to do something completely different just to prove myself, you know? And then, yeah, I studied as a surveyor. I graduated for that. And, um, and then, yeah, I, I then decided after to be, become a model for, for different reasons, because like in Italy, some stuff happened as well, but, um, yeah, like that was my type of, of person. Like when you tell me to you, I, you, I'm not going to be able to do something. I'm going to do it. You know, like it's something mm. like removing those like stereotypes, you know, from like mm. people's minds. Yeah. I also love the, the kind of take charge attitude of, oh, you think I'm going to go to beauty school? I'm going to study science. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Watch me. Yeah. Um, I think that that's so amazing. When, when you talk about, experiences that that you had in Italy is is that something that you'd be willing to to explain a bit or would you oh, rather... yeah. yeah 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 it's also public knowledge um so my my start in in the modeling industry let's say was a little rough so mm. when I was 18 years old because my mom was very into like beauty queen contests you know in the Philippines Everybody's so hyped about it. I wasn't so much, but like, I don't know. I wanted just to make my mom happy. And at the time I met this agent um, that it's called Daniela. And I don't know, he was following me up on, on the steps for this beauty queen contest. And, and it was Miss Italy. So I decided to participate, even if my, you know, skin tone was dark and like, you know, I don't look very Italian because my mom is Filipina, but like, I was like, okay, let's see how it goes. So um, uh, suddenly I, I ended up to, to, to finale and all of this. Uh, but what happened uh, during the time of the selections is that that agent that I trust um, took me into a party, okay, with another mm-hmm. like contestant that was with me called Chiara. And so he took us in this place where we didn't know where we were going. And 
um, it was kind of like, whatever, we trusted him because sometimes he was like organizing casting. So we went to some casting with him and stuff like that. So um, it was like the day of when I got um, uh, the finale, you know, like um, title. So the, the, the <laughs> one step before the end of the contest, that, that's the thing. So he's like, yeah. oh, Amber, let's go celebrate because you got into like the finale. So let's go. And, and suddenly I remember it was like 11 at night and, and we got into this huge mansion. It was nighttime and there was the police that checked our documents and I was 18 years old and just turned 18. And I was like, okay, cool. Like it's, it's like a huge place. Maybe is, um, like some friends of him that worked in TV or something like that. I thought, so whatever, like we, we got into this place and, and he suddenly left us there saying that he was going to get someone um, to the party. So we were like there just waiting. And we knew some guy there because he did a casting to us like a few days before. And, um, and that's it. We were just there. And then like we were outside in the garden, just drinking some like, you know, an alcoholic drink and waiting for this Daniela to come back. And, and the dinner was ready. So we got back. Were there a lot of people at this party or was it small? It was just this guy that was, is very famous TV journalist in Italy. It was very famous TV journalist in Italy called Emilio Fede. And uh, so because he was very famous, I trusted him, you know, like me and my friend were like grew up watching him for like the news in Italy. He was like always saying like the news of the weather and this kind of thing. So we're like, oh. he seems like a like a trustworthy intellectual yes. person of 80 years old as well. So, wow. And, and I think there can be something as women when someone is like that, when they're a cultural figure or older or they work in a very intellectual profession and and they're famous you assume they would never behave badly Absolutely. because Absolutely. everyone would know about it 100% but anyway mm. like that wasn't like my mind was very naive at the time i was 18 years yeah. old that that's like all the thing i was thinking is like this person is very famous and he seems very nice he's 80 years old he's like my grandfather and i'm there right. with you know my friend Chiara and other two women of middle age that I didn't know who they were uh, at the time when I met them. And then after I figured they worked in politics. So we were there and then suddenly the waiter comes out and said that the dinner was ready. So we were excited. Like I was still writing this Daniela saying like, where are you? Like when you coming back and it was not replying. So then we are in this like big, um, living room with like sofas and everything. And, and then like in front of me, there was, um, Berlusconi, Silvio Berlusconi, the ex prime minister of Italy, the last one, like the, mm. you know, previous that was running Italy for 20 years. And I of mm -hmm. course knew him from TV and, and I was a little confused because he looked very different from TV. So at first I thought maybe he was an impersonator and all these kind of things. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't know, maybe it's him, maybe not. But I was like polite anyway and said, oh, hi, nice meeting you. My name is Amber and Kiara, you know. Mm. And then suddenly, like out of nowhere, 
like bunch of 15 girls came out um from like a door to this living room and started to scream and be like oh puppy puppy hi hi this and that and kissing him one after the other in the lips and, and there I was like uh, what's going on you know like in my head it was kind of like funny to see because it was very like crazy to view like all of these girls were going to this person that I knew was very very powerful and kissing him like like a game you know like like it was very like a sort of like yeah like 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 theatrical or something yes exactly very theatrical so I was observing and then he's like there with some trays of like rings you know like rings it's like and he was saying to me and Kara, like, get the rings, girls, get the rings. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't wear jewelry. <laughs> like, I don't like it. And he's like, oh, no, no, get it, get it. It's a gift. It's from Tiffany. It's from Tiffany. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, thanks. And I got, like, one, and and she got another one. And I was watching it, and it was, like, this huge, like, flowery thing. And I was like, okay, whatever, thank you, <laughs> you know. And then we moved to the, to the dining room. He's like, yeah, let's follow me, follow me. Let's go to eat. So we all sat in this huge table. There was these 15 girls. There was him and this Emilio Fede, Chiara, and other people that I think it was mostly women. And we were there like eating some spaghetti and all over the table, there was a lot of like weird objects of like, clowns and little like ducks you know like the one that you use in in the bath for a kid oh like like rubber duckies exactly there were a lot of these things and like huh. I was not scared very curious about what's what's going on because like I was thinking wow this person if it's really him because I wasn't like sure it was him it's running the country and there is like little like puppet of things in 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 the table where we're eating um is like singing a lot of like very weird songs uh you know like all night and a lot of those girls are like dancing around him kissing him and and more so i was very curious to see what was going on and and my friend was watching me and and we were not talking to each other we would just watch each other like very I don't know, like surprise of what was going on. So, but anyway, like trying to, because it's a very long situation, trying to make it a little compact. At one point it was like telling a well, lot of jokes. And it sounds to me like I have such an uncomfortable feeling yes. hearing you explain it because you're assuming you must be in a safe place, but also everything feels creepy it feels kind of circusy yeah strange and and I, I would imagine that you have no idea how you're meant to behave or feel and I know at least as a woman that I've had experiences where I feel very uncomfortable and then I feel guilty that I feel uncomfortable and so you're just trying to kind of be polite yes I was always polite. Mm. That's the thing. Like, and also mm. like this Emilio Fede, the TV journalist guy was always telling me like, oh yeah, yeah. Look, look what's going on. Like this and that. It was like always like telling me 
uh, destroy what's going on. So yeah, look at those two girls. Like all of these girls worked in TV, still now works in TV. And, mm. and two of them are, were twins. And, uh, and he's like, Oh, you see those two girls? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I see them. And he's like, yeah, they just flew from Naples. They come in here to get like 3000 euros each. And I'm like, Oh, okay. For what? For what? <laughs> exactly. Oh. So it was like telling me all of these things and, or, or maybe like, Oh, look at that girl. That girl was like simulating like oral sex with a little statue. Um, that they brought to the table. Okay. And he was telling me, Oh, look at that girl. Look at that girl. She's doing that, but she, she doesn't like guys. She's doing it just to please him. And I'm like, why? Like in my head, I was thinking, why are you telling me these things? You know, like it was so unreal. And in, in like the same time, I was trying to write this Daniela saying like, where are you? Cause I wanted to leave. But I didn't know where I was. I was 18 years old. You know, I didn't have my drive license. I didn't know how to, if I could have called someone or someone would just, you know, made me disappear or something, you know. So I'm just there sitting at this table with my other girlfriend watching each other and thinking, what's going on? So there was Berlusconi also asking us questions like, so what are you doing, girls? Like, and we were saying like, we were studying and He's asking like, oh, how old are you? And of course we, we answered, we were 18 years old and that we were like doing this Miss Italy contest. And, um, and then, yeah, he was like, oh, you're very little, like you're very little kids. Like it's, it's great. And, and I was like, okay, whatever, you know, like I kept going, trying to avoid, you know, questions from him. And, um, and then at some point, like I see all these girls going to him and like dancing and like going on our back and dancing to him. Like it was a sort of like, um, how you say, like one of, of those, like, uh, like an harem of women, you know, to please him. Mm-hmm. That was like the type of situation. And then like he was telling all of these jokes. And at the end, there was a joke uh, that he ended saying like, oh, girls, are you ready for the bunga bunga? And... And I was like, okay, what's going on now? And this girl was like super excited saying like, oh, yes, let's go, let's go. And they left somewhere. And so it was me, Silvia Berlusconi, Emilia Fede and Chiara alone in this, you know, dining room. And, and you know, like there was this Emilia Fede that was trying to like, you know, talk to Chiara and asking her like, oh, Chiara, what's going on? And she wasn't feeling good. And she asked for like a tea and yeah. And then at the end, he said something like, oh, you can go lay down like somewhere. I can help you if you're not feeling well. And I, when I heard that, I took Chiara under my arm, you know, like, I'm like, oh no, like there was, there is like the, um, the president, how everybody was calling him, Berlusconi. He want to show us the house. So we're going there. So I took Chiara with me and didn't let her go anywhere she was always with me and he showed us the house. It's like a huge house. Okay. And it shows us like this huge room where he was having like a collection of little like statue of ceramic cows, like little cows of ceramic with a lot of colors. Okay. So he took mm-hmm. us into this room and he said, Oh, this is the room where all the girls give me gifts and does a lot of like this, um, you, beautiful drawing for me and 
all these kind of things. Okay. So he likes to get a lot of attention. I, I, I think like it needs to be adored or something like that. Anyway, he then said, get a box, get a box and unbox the thing inside. So I took a box, Chiara took another box and I opened it and it was a little statue of a cow. As I told you, like there was this huge table of like 20 meters full of little statue of cows. Okay. So I took this thing and he said, oh, okay, now place it where you want in this table. And I was like, okay. So I put it there. She put it somewhere else. And he's like, yeah, great, great, amazing, amazing. Let's go. Let's go now. I was like, okay, let's go. So I followed him and Emilio and Chiara was with me and we went to this downstairs little like you know that those wine cellar place where you know like you put wine in Italy that mm-hmm. is like underground mm-hmm. type of and he yeah. made he made this place like a club so there was like a pole dancing pole and <laughs> there was like these white sofas, you know, around the music was blasting. There was like lights and everything. And I could see those girls were like dancing and having fun and like pleasing him, you know. And then at one point, the situation became, became like crazy. Okay. Because these girls were like dressing up like police women and like nurses and like, uh, yeah, this type of like costume, uh, but naked, like, you know, all of those sex type of costumes. Yeah. 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 So they were dressed up like that. So I could have seen things of, of them, you know, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? And I'm sitting on this sofa with my friend and, um, and I'm thinking like, it's good that they are doing stuff to them. You know what I mean? Like they're an on, you know, self, like deciding to go and dance with, for them or like sing for them or this type. They're not asking me. So I'm fine. I'm sitting here. It's very, yeah, it's very uncomfortable, but at least no one has handed you a belt and said, put this on. 100%. And there was this girl yeah. that kept coming to me that I saw in some TV show and she's like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. You should be, no- be noticed. Like you should sh- like show yourself and get noticed because you're going to have a huge career if you do. And I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. But I'm, I'm shy. I don't dance. <laughs> you know, like it was like, okay, thank you. And, um, and so I was sitting there. And then at one point there was this woman that she's like brunette, like me, beautiful, whatever. And, and then suddenly she started to dance around the pole and she had like one of those strap dress, whatever. And at one point she removed her dress and she was completely naked. Okay. So I saw every single part of her body and I was like watching the floor because I'm like uncomfortable, you know, like I'm not even watching, you know, people close to me naked. It's kind of very weird for me to see like a woman naked that I don't know in front of me, like that I met one hour before. So mm. I'm there and, and I'm seeing that she's going like uh, close to Berlusconi and let him touch her and all these kind of things. And I'm like, okay, this is like you know, a lot. Try to write this Daniela. It's already like maybe midnight. And, and I say like, I want to go. Where are you? 
you know, like me and Kara want to go. And then suddenly there was this woman um, that was the girl that before um, Emilia Fede was saying that she liked opposite sex. No, she liked the mm-hmm. same sex as her. So it was like, she's coming to us and she's like, girls, just get up, get up, get up and come dance, come dance. And I had like a little sweater or something. And she's like, oh, I just remove this. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, like at that point, like just that, that gesture, because I really don't like to be touched. Like I have some problems with that. And, mm-hmm. and she removed my sweater type. You know? And I'm like, okay, I stand up and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I have to leave. So I took Chiara and I went to um, Emilio Fede because it was the only person I was talking there to. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, but tomorrow there is the finale of Miss Italy. We have to leave at five in the morning with a boss. I got to go. I have to go. And he said, oh, but you're going now? That is the best moment of the party. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, but I need to go. Like there is this Miss Italy contest I really cared of. And he answered like, oh, but what do you think you're going to get with this contest if the people that matter are here? You know, the people that decide are here or something like that, he said, because it was talking about how he was in like the ju- the jury of Miss Italy one time. So he knows everyone. And it was like a threat, like a threat to us, you know, like if you leave, you're never going to get anything done in your life. And I was like, oh, I don't care. Like, I want to go. So I got up the stairs, left to this courtyard where Daniela left us. And I was with Chiara and like in my head, I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm here in the middle of nowhere. I don't know who to call, what to do. So we're trying to keep calling this Daniela. He's not picking up. And... um and then at one point, this Emilio Fede comes out, like, rushing. And I'm like, I was pissed at him because I was like, what, what, just, what did you, what, what you said was disgusting, you know? So um, he came up to us and, and then he said, oh, wait, wait, girls, I'm going to, I'm going to take you to Daniela. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just wait. And, and I, I, I didn't want to listen to his, to him. And he kept, like, he started to say, like, you did great. You did great. And I'm like, what, what did we do great? And, and he's saying like, yeah, you did great because all the other girls are just prostitutes, you know, like, like he doesn't even care of them, you know, like he doesn't care. Like you're going to be the ones, you're going to be the ones, you girls, because you're acting right. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was so confused. But as I said, I was very naive in the same time. So I was listening and I listened to him. It started to like wash our brain. And he took us to Daniela with his driver. And they started talking about like how we act like very like ladylike girls that we didn't like, you know, dance or like we didn't do anything crazy there. So he's that the president saw it and that he would act like treat us the best. You know, he would give us everything because we were acting good. And I was like, oh, maybe it's true. I don't know. Let's see. I don't know. Like in my mind, I was thinking like, whatever, like tomorrow I'm going to the contest of Miss Italy. Let's see how it goes. So the first week, okay, that we were in this Miss Italy contest uh, at the finale, me and Chiara, and also another girl that we saw at that party was participating to this Miss Italy contest. She's called Roberta Bonazia. And... And she was there doing all of these crazy things. So we were also surprised that we saw her in there. And anyway, we were in this um, 
finale thing and she was there as well and she was very like acting like very sure about herself like whatever was going to happen you know and I was like well, whatever you know like I don't care maybe like Emilio Fede was saying right about acting like good and so we would get something out of it I don't know so we're there just whatever living the experience and they were choosing the 60 finalists for for this contest so we're there and Emilio Fede was talking to her saying like I'm, I'm gonna send you my tv like my tv uh, troupe to film you for like interviews so you're gonna get like some some good votes if ever and I'm like okay thank you so much you know like me and Chiara were like oh thank you like we thought what he said was truth so like one week goes by and the day of the choosing the 60 finalists out of 600 um uh, yeah 600 like girls um I thought they were choosing Chiara for the four girls from my Aria, okay, so it was me, another girl that were, we were in the finalists, in the finals, and other two girls that had to be, you know, chosen. And and then they chose some girl that was Danish Italian, and I thought they were choosing Chiara. But instead, when we were in like, you know, the um uh, yeah, like it was on TV, so it was uh, in, in, I don't know how you say it in English, but anyway, when they were calling <laughs> the, the girls, they called this Roberta Bonazia instead of Chiara, that they were saying like, no, no, Chiara is going to go in the finale. Don't worry. You did great. Mm. And they got there, that girl. <laughs> so in my head, I understood that I was stupid, that like the situation was just going downhill and that everything he said, it was just to keep us to shut up. So then we, I was there. I had other two weeks to go on for, for the final and Chiara left. So I was alone with this girl that was like threatening us. Like, you don't say anything. What, what do you sew? Like, don't, you know, talk to anyone. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like what's going to, going to happen? You know, like if I talk. Mm. So I said nothing and then whatever the situation kept going with me going back to to my city to Turin Torino and uh, mm-hmm. and going to school because it was my last year of surveyor year so everything was amazing like everybody came up to me saying oh so you on tv was great uh, I voted for you I wanted you to win and this and that and I was so happy like you know I achieved something in my life or something like that I don't know like in my mind it was like so I became like the president of the school um, for that year because like, yeah, they were choosing like four each year. And like, so we were doing a lot of activities for everybody. And, um, mm. and then one point, January comes because it was in September 2010. Sorry, so September 2010. Mm. And in January, suddenly one time I get in my classroom um, and my best friend comes up to me like super quiet and had me a newspaper. And I was like, what, what is this? And, um, and, and he said, like, just open it. And I was like, okay. So I opened that newspaper and in, inside it, there was my face 
the face of my friend Chiara and this other Roberta Bonazia saying like three beauty queens involved into the bunga bunga parties of, you know, the like uh, the residence of the prime minister of Italy, Silvio Berlusconi. And I was like, oh my God, what, what's going on? So they were writing about like every girl that was going there was an escort. Like I went there two hours of my life that I didn't want to go. <laughs> like I didn't know about it. Like I didn't know I was going there. And I left without doing nothing. I never had a career out of it. I never got anything wow. out of your, you know, like, and I couldn't even say it. You were just a kid in a competition. Exactly. I was 18 years old thinking like, I have morals. I'm not going to do things. And I left. <laughs> well, but the, the other thing that strikes me as so upsetting is that a grown up that you trusted drove you there and left you there. Yeah. And an agent. And yet, an agent. An agent, right. And yet it, it comes down on you. You know, you're. Yeah. You're somehow called guilty for being in a place where you were quite literally duped to go for, by the way, an obviously predatory experience. Like it, it, it strikes me as, you know, throwing a lamb to the wolves. It's a really dark thing that happened to you and, and you and your friend are very lucky that that you were, in a way, I think you're lucky that you were young enough and naive enough to just say exactly what you were feeling, which was no. Yeah. I remember at 21 having a really weird experience with my first like real boss. And I was so young and so naive and so sure of right and wrong, which I still am, but there there were no kind of pressures to be um, palatable yet, you know, to, to make it nice yet. And, and I hit my boss. (laughs) I just hit him. I was like, what are you doing? Don't do that. It was such a, it was such a gut reaction. And I, I think that, I think that it's the trouble that women get in when they trust their gut, which is what you're describing. You said, no, I'm leaving. And you got out of there and, and then it came back around and in a way you were punished. Yeah, no, and, no, no, of course. And I think about that. I think that when we trust our gut and we defend ourselves, we often find ourselves being punished in ways that the next time we think, okay, how can I protect myself but maybe make them less angry or maybe, you know, make this less awkward. And it strikes me as infuriating. It makes me so angry because it shouldn't be our job to make them less angry. It should be their job to not be predatory. Acting that way. Exactly. So yeah, this experience was like my first hit in, in like the understanding that this world was, was moving in into a very like the bad wins, you know what I mean? Like the bad people Mm -hmm. win. So I don't know. I, I just mm. kept going with having my reputation destroyed and I was only 18 years old and because I was all mm. over the newspapers, you know, has the 18 years old, you know, like 33 escorts of, you know, like the Berlusconi mansion. And, and I was like, no, it's not true. 
With all this time we've been spending at home these days, it probably feels like your personal style has become much more about comfort and less about looking fashionable. But with Rothy's, we don't have to choose between the two. Rothy's has perfected the art of making shoes, bags, and masks that are comfortable and stylish. Rothy's come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns, meaning that you always have a ton of styles to choose from. There's something for every occasion and for every customer. One of my personal favorites is the new lace-up in white. It's classic and so comfortable. And besides being stylish, Rothy's is committed to constantly optimizing their sustainable efforts. All Rothy's products are carefully crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic, which allows you to look good and feel good about what you're wearing. Plus, Rothy's are perfect for the upcoming winter months because they're completely machine washable. No matter what outdoor adventures you get into, if you're wearing your Rothy's, afterwards you can just throw them in the washing machine and they'll be good as new. On top of that, they offer free shipping and free returns. So honestly, what are you waiting for? Go check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash Sophia. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Sophia. Where style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Can I ask you a question just because obviously, you know, you you did this competition and mm-hmm. it just strikes me as so intense that we put these so many young girls in situations like this. But had you been had you been modeling before? I mean, how did no, how did that begin? No. So that was your first exposure? Yeah, that was like the main big thing that happened like I was on TV like 7 million people watched me in Italy or something like that even more I don't right. know so like my experiences as a model it was very local like I was doing like shows in my city you know like those mm-hmm. bridal things just to like make money in the meanwhile I was um also also studying because my my father left when I was about 14 years old as well so I wanted to like help out the situation yeah, because you really supported your mom and brother a lot as a kid, right? Exactly. So I was doing that while studying. And um, and so like the big experience that, you know, like hit me hard, it was when I was 18 that I didn't even start modeling professionally. But that was my dream because I wanted to really do it. And and so like it was the last year of my surveying, like um, studying and and then suddenly my reputation was destroyed. People thought I got to the finale of Miss Italy because I did something with the prime minister of Italy. And, mm. and then like everybody was talking weird about me in the, you know, like hallway of the school and, you know, whatever. Like, so crazy situation. I had paparazzi trying to find me at school. Me escaping, like, in some ways, like, for, like, a couple of months. It was a nightmare. So, I don't know. Like, I just kept going. I graduated. And, like, in the meantime, also, I found a lawyer that would represent me because you know how it is in Italy. Like, mafia and all these things. People are scared. And and so, she wanted to represent me and Chiara about our, you know, legal battle on taking out the truth because all I wanted was being Amber Batilana and not 
attached with all those lies that the news was writing about me. So mm -hmm. I started that in April 20, 2011. I started a legal bottle that is still open right now. So after like 10 years, wow. was, and, and I kept going, kept going, kept going. But I realized that this person owns the media. So even in the moment that, you know, like I was true, I was saying the truth, I was right and everything, people were not covering about it. Because how what they would mm -hmm. say, like, oh, yeah, the 18 years old girls that went to this party instead said the truth about what they saw, that they saw a naked woman doing a pole dancing that then was working in politics. <laughs> so she was like working in the party of Berlusconi in politics and a bunch of wow. other women, you know, that actually worked in TV and had like very big roles in TV. And they didn't get anything because they were saying the truth of what was happening. So anyway, I decided then after graduation um, that I was 19, it was not a full graduation because I didn't do university because I escaped Italy. I decided to change name and to go somewhere else. So fortunately, I got signed into a modeling um, agency in London. So I moved there when I was about 19, 20 years old. Um, and, and yeah, I tried to, to do that seriously. So I was modeling and I started like from zero, like nothing, you know, I had to learn English. I had to find a way to like, you know, stay in London. So I was staying at some friend's couch first and and then like little by little I was getting like gigs and more custom gigs and so I could have survived in London and not get back to Italy even if I had to go because of the trial because like every couple of weeks or like every time I had to go there testify for like eight hours about what I saw and like all of this crazy thing like my life was like I don't know if this is a movie or <laughs> like it's crazy wow. so it's a lot of pressure for a young kid yeah, I was 18. When I think right now, I'm 18 years old, I'm like, wow, like, I don't know how I managed, you know, to do this. Cause like, I grew up very fast, I guess. In that time of, you know, like period, I, I really said, like, I don't wish this to nobody. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. So thanks God, I, I had possibility to work as a model full time. I also went to Paris and then to, to the U.S. because, you know, you had to get your visa sponsored. Otherwise, they, they don't allow you to work. And I was... When did you come to the United States? So the first first time was in, 20, um, for, uh, was in 2014 when I got my agency in New York. And that's when mm -hmm. I uh, started to, to model. Like one time... Uh, so one time when I had my birthday of the 20 years old, but it was a couple of weeks here in Miami... Not much, but anyway, like going back mm -hmm. to when I really came for work, it was 2014. And, um, I was, and did you move here then? Uh, no, because it was very hard for me. Like it was a new, you know, environment. It was very expensive. New York was very crazy expensive. So I had to like see if I could work or not because it was, I was new. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. And I was happy that I would get a lot of clients to work and it was custom. So I've said, okay, maybe you can realize my dreams to live in New York. And, and I stayed for a couple of months 
So then I came back to Italy and I was so excited. Like I need to organize myself how to go back there. And so a few months passed by because it was summer 2014. And I stayed in Italy till probably end of February uh 2015 and then i came back to new york my agency was super excited they were like yeah. oh Embra, thanks for coming back like we're gonna get you again the clients you had before like you're gonna work perfect like this and that three weeks after we go to this um show at the radio city music hall with my agent and some other girls like a lot of times we go watch movies, we go to some parties yeah. together, you know, like it was nice because I didn't have a family in New York. So for me, it was family. Yeah, you're, the other girls you're working with and your team are meant to kind of be your support system. It's like, it's like having a mentor and a bunch of classmates or something. Exactly. And I was 22, you know, like speaking English, like, you know, I wanted to learn. So always like talking to people. And but very shy, very shy person. And um, and then anyway, I wanted to escape the reality I was living in Italy. So I was trying to like get the things back my shoulder, like not thinking about. And yeah, that day happened. It was um, probably end of March, something like that. And yeah, we got to this Radio City Music Hall theater show. We're there watching this beautiful show I never seen before, like a theater show like that. And I was amazed of it. So then there is the after party. I'm with the girls. I'm with my agent. And I'm like on the upstairs place where the VIP are staying or like the people that worked in the, in the show. And then suddenly I'm there like eating like those little like things and, and watching people, but not talking to anyone. And then I see someone watching me from far, like staring at me and I'm feeling weird. So I'm just walking the other side, like, and every time I moved or I watched there, he was watching me and I'm like, why is this guy watching me? You know? <laughs> and then suddenly he started moving towards me and I got a little like uncomfortable because I knew he was going to talk to me, but it was weird because he stared at me for like 10 minutes or so. So I got close to my agent and this guy started talking and he said oh hi what is your name so I answered my name is Ambra and and then he asked who's your agent who's your agency and I said oh no, this is my agent and they start talking and I was there and he was asking me question where are you from um this and that like we talked like two minutes or something like that and he talked to my mm-hmm. agent saying like, oh, I have this project I'm working on and I would love to have her to, to do um, um, a casting for it and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, it's work related. So it's good. Like someone noticed me maybe for work. And, and I'm like, okay, but I didn't think of asking who he was and whatever. So then he left after five minutes conversation and uh, my agent like, you know, start talking to me um, mm-hmm. after he left. And he's like, Amber, Amber, do you know who that guy is? And I'm like, no, I don't know. And he's like, oh, it's Harvey Weinstein. He produced the show we just watched. And I'm like, oh, cool. Um, okay. Like, I mean, I never was interested of in being a theater actress or an actress. So I'm like, it's mm-hmm. cool, but I, I don't know what it is about. I'm a model, you know? 
So I didn't think of it. I left. I went out with my friends. And and that's it. I go to sleep. The next day I have two castings. So I wake up early. I get ready. It's kind of cold outside. So I'm wearing my uh, like very heavy tights and in like a green dress. And I have my coat because in New York in end of March, super cold, like oh, yeah. storms and like whatever, like it starts raining or you get like freeze. And anyway, I get out, I do my first casting. I do my second casting and it was like midday or something like that. And I got an, 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 another email from my agency. And a lot of times it happens that they give you extra casting, you know, like during mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. like, uh, calling. Yeah, it's like for me as an actor during pilot season, especially when I was starting, it was the same. I'd have an appointment, I'd have to go audition for a show, and by the time I got out, they'd be like, "You have to be across town in two hours and read for this other thing." So like you're just running all over town trying to book a job. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. super frustrating sometimes as well, yeah. but like you have to do it. So I'm like, okay, I got an extra casting. I didn't really see what was. But he t- called me and he's like, oh, Amber, Amber, you got this new casting. You remember the guy of yesterday? And I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. And he said, he wants to cast you. He wants to cast you. Go to his office um, in Tribeca Film Center, whatever, like, place, mm-hmm. and get there, like, at 5. And I'm like, okay, good. So I'm already ready. Maybe I go to eat, like, you know, something, and, and I go there. So it's 5 p.m., so daylight whatever. Um, I remember like I get to the reception, I give my documents and I go upstairs and there is a secretary and she's like, Oh, Amber, hi, uh, follow me. We're going to go to the waiting room. I'm like, okay. So I'm there getting into this waiting room. I'm sitting on a, on a sofa and, um, I'm there alone. And she put up like a video of something on a TV in front of me. And like there was this TV, like with the video of, of like trailers of like movies, like uh, Kill Bill or like um, <sighs> other things. And I'm like, oh, cool, nice, you know. But I'm not thinking. Like I'm, I'm like, oh, nice, nice movies, you know. Well, and especially because just to to really hammer home the difference, you came to New York to model. Exactly. You weren't pursuing a career in acting. Why? Why were, why would you know who Harvey was or what movies he had produced? It's like, it's not your world. Absolutely. And my agent the day before said, he's the producer of this show you just seen. So I thought theater, you know, theater, right. I get it. it. Like this is the the thing. So when he came in, because the video was ending, uh, he ended, he's like, Oh, Amber is really nice to see you again. Um, ah, another thing that he said when he saw me first is like, you know, you, you remind me a lot of this actress, uh, Mila Kunis. And at the time, because, you know, I don't remember, like I, I grew up in Italy. I don't know names of actresses or, you know, like, and it was in America. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I don't know. I don't know who she is. I, now I know, but at the time I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, but thanks. I mean, I don't know. So he kept saying that like, Oh, you remember me, her, you remember me, her. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. And then he said, oh, you saw these movies, these movies. I made these movies. And I'm like, oh, wow, nice, beautiful. You know, like I saw them, like almost every, all of them. 
And then he kept talking like, oh, you could have like beautiful career. I know that you have like a great, uh, like you, you're going to do great and this and that. And I'm like, oh, thanks. But I, I never did acting. Like I never studied and I know it's very hard and I have friends that do it. It's 24 seven work, you know, like it's very hard. I know it. And we spoke for like two, three minutes and then like kept talking. And I said, do you want to see my book? Because that's what you're doing castings. Like I didn't want to talk, you know? And he's like, oh yeah, it's great, great. So I had my iPad to him and he starts scrolling my pictures. And he's like, oh, wow, beautiful. And then he stopped to a picture of me in lingerie because I'm a lingerie model mostly. And he's watching and he's like, oh, Amber, oh, I want to ask you a question. Uh, is your breast real? And, and I was like, what? So he put down the iPad without saying a word, not like even in a half of a second, his hands were on my breast. And I was like, I sit back and I watched him like, I didn't know what to say. And then he's like, just give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I don't do these things to people I don't know. You know, like uh, I act that way. And so he moved back because his hand was also my leg, you know, and he moved back and, and he's like, Oh, Oh no, I, I understand. I understand. Maybe, maybe later tonight we get a drink and, and we meet later tonight. I, I send you the tickets for, sh for my show, for my show, like something like that. He kept rumbling. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, what just happened? You know, in like two minutes, three minutes time. And he left, he left, like nothing happened. He left. And the, yeah, you're saying he left, like nothing had happened. He didn't apologize to you. He didn't. Like he thought he did nothing wrong. Wow. Like he touched my breast. He asked me to kiss him. And when I said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't do these things with people. I don't know. <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? It's also so interesting to me because I know, I know how surprised I was in a, in a similar experience by my reaction, which was, because I just saw you do it. You know, the people who are listening can't see us, obviously, but the, this, the, the, it's like you go stiff and you freeze. Yeah, exactly. And you think, you think you're going to smack someone or yell or, or push them or, and it's like you literally freeze. Was that your experience? And was that surprising to you? Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't know how to act. Like my self-defense was like, not move. Like, don't move. Don't do anything. Because mm -hmm. I didn't know like how he would react if I pushed him or like, I don't know. My yeah. head was like. Well, because what if you'd pushed him and then he'd gotten violent? You don't know. One of the things that was really helpful for me, I, I learned, um, and I don't know what, what you would say in Italian, but there's a very common phrase that maybe you've heard in English where people say it's fight or flight. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. like when you're threatened, it's like fight or flight is the response. And I actually learned, um, I learned from a trauma therapist that that's not true. And 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 this this incredible woman said the funniest thing to me, which I, I really appreciated because when you're talking about these experiences, there's often not a lot of humor. 
And she said, you know, there's words we learn. Like we've learned fight or flight in the same way that in English we've learned peanut butter and jelly. And she goes, if someone said to you, I want a jelly and peanut butter sandwich, you'd probably think they were a serial killer. Like who says that? <laughs> and, 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 and she said, so we think fight or flight is meaningful, but actually the responses in the human brain when threatened are first freeze, then flight, then fight only as a means to get away. So it's actually that we freeze first and, and the least likely thing that we do is, is to fight. And that really helped me understand that reaction where I was like, oh, this is the way the brain, the human brain is wired this way. It's not that I did the wrong thing or didn't do anything or whatever the story is. It's, it's quite literally that that's, that is a way that your brain tries to save your life when you are petrified. And I think a lot of people forget that in the kinds of experience you're talking about and that I'm talking about, as a woman, when a man who is enormous is preying on you and you are alone with him, you're pretty afraid to hit him because what if he hits you back? Exactly. Yeah. He is very tall. Like he's very big. He's, he's he's a huge man. Harvey Weinstein is a huge, scary man. Exactly. And I'm, I'm very tall. <laughs> Just to say, I'm very tall and I was, <laughs> you know, like very scared and freezed about the situation. So anyway, yeah. like the secretary came in and said, I'm going to send you the tickets. Uh, I'm going to send you a ticket for tonight. And uh, no. <laughs> and, and I was like, not understanding what's going on. I said, I need to go to the restroom. So I went to the restroom. I put my hands uh, under the water because like I was shaking, you know, mm-hmm. but I was not reacting by voice. I, like my body was just, Mm-hmm. you know like shaking and i Frozen. thought i yeah. thought i was going to faint or something so i got into the elevator that nobody would see me and i was going down i started to try to call my agent and i was like really shaking like you know like pushing button like constantly to go down and and then i went out and i got into the first taxi so my agent because it was friday um I had to go to his family so he didn't pick up and I called someone else, like another agent of the, the agency that was still in the agency. And, and I said, oh, oh my God, oh my God, uh, something happened, something happened. And, and he's like, oh, uh, Amber, what's going on? What's going on? And he's like, I need to talk to someone. I need to talk to someone. Someone is in the agency yet, like still. And he's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here with my girlfriend. She came here, like this and that. And I said, just stay there, just stay there, please. So I got there with a, with a cab and I saw him in the street with his girlfriend because he represents the music like, side of the, the agency. And, and I said, okay. oh my God, these, these things happened. This person, this person touched me, this person touched me. And like in my head, I was thinking, is it happening everything to me? Like in my head, I was like, what mm. the hell is going on? And at that point, I thought... This person is super powerful. It's known, like it's super, it knows everyone, you know? 
And, and in me, I'm like, why am I meeting all of these people in my life? Like, first of all, in mm-hmm. Italy, you know, the prime minister, then this guy, like I didn't know hundred percent how powerful he was, but I knew that he, he, he was like with in pictures with a lot of famous people, like this kind of things in his office. And, and he produced all of these movies showed me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what, what, what's going on? You know, like, and I start crying yeah. for like an hour and this and that. And then in my head, I'm like, I need to go to the police. I need to go to the police. You know, like I, t- I was telling this agent of mine and I, and he said, Amber, like, you can't do that. And I'm like, why? Cause this person is going to destroy you. Like your career and everything is going to end. And I said, okay, but I don't care. He touched me, you know, like I want, I want to do something about it. And he's like, are you sure? And it seems to me that in a way it must have felt even more important to you than what you had seen in Italy, because in Italy, you didn't let anyone touch you. No, nobody touched you. And you didn't stay in this inappropriate place and you still got in trouble for it. Yeah. You got in trouble because you told the truth. And now it's like, you think, you think I'm not going to tell the truth about being sexually assaulted? Like- how, how, you know, it, it happened here with Harvey. And it's like, I, I realized that in my own life, when I have seen or witnessed or experienced things that I know are unjust, that are wrong, the more I see that is wrong, the more I want to fight for what's right. Because once you start to realize how pervasive it is, how much it's everywhere, you know, I think about the fact that in this country, for example, one in four girls has been sexually assaulted by the time she's 22. Yeah, And I'm like, so it isn't just you that is running into bad people. It's that there's just bad people preying on women everywhere. And so of course we want to do something to stop it and change it. Yeah. There is a lot of people ask me the same question. Like, it seems that like, you know, everything happens to you or like, you know, like you always get in troubles or these things. And I'm like, no, it's not me. It's every single person it's just that i don't it's everywhere i don't get like i speak about it you know like if someone does yeah. something wrong to me i speak about it and i fight it you know but every single woman every single day just from being caught cold they experience some sort of like sexual harassment you know every mm-hmm. single person mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how you dress how you act how like you can be even like a teenager high school like a girl going out of school and someone is gonna harass you in the street like it doesn't matter so it's just not being silent about it you know maybe it makes you look like you complain too much but it's not you have to do that and i'm glad that the Mm -hmm. me too started because it really highlighted these like multiple experiences that everyone is going through Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we realize it's happening to everyone. And then the more we understand that it's a systemic issue that needs to be changed. So what what happens, you know, this agent is telling you, don't do this. You can't do this. You have to just keep quiet. And your response obviously is, I'm not going to keep quiet about this. So he, he was saying more than that, like, your career is going to be destroyed. 
You know, like you're going right. to, like he can close all the doors for you. And I'm like, I right. don't care. I just don't care, you know? So I went to the police. Mm -hmm. I went to the police station that was the one in Tribeca close to his office. And the moment I walked in and I spoke through the window door, like the one that, you know, you speak to police people. And, and I said, Harvey Weinstein assaulted me in his office. The guy mm -hmm. answered again. <gasps> and I was like, what do you mean again? This happened before, you know, like I thought it was like a joke. So in my head, I don't know what happened, but like it just turned on something that made me non-stop on any sort of situation. Like that again, like in my head, I was thinking maybe it happened to some like young girl, you know, like that maybe he did something even worse. Like in my mind just went like crazy. I was thinking of like worse mm -hmm. situation that he did to other people. Okay. Because I said, okay, I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. He touched me. That's it. You know, like, but what if? And but then what I, else? I was right. So that mm -hmm. thing, you know, made me collaborate with the police, go meet him again the next day because he sent me the tickets. So I went to the show, meet him again. He told me to go to this Roxy Hotel um, to meet him. It was the Tribeca ground at the time. To meet him at the bar, he tried to take me to his room three times, you know, trying to lure me to say like, oh, I made this girl. I made this other actress. Like they're famous because of me and this and that. And then he told me like, you're going to be famous. You're going to do this and that. And I was wired with undercover police around me try to get him to confess what he did and he did he confessed everything he did to me and other more things and I was like wow like God gave me the strength to do this like I'm gonna help so many people I'm super mm. happy and people are gonna believe me because it's on a because it's on tape it's on tape you know I remember listening to that tape when it finally came out and I just had the chills and I was crying and I was like, the fact that, that you were able to press him and say, why did you do that to me? And, and that he admitted in detail what he did and that he said to you, well, I'm used to that. That was disgusting. Oh, it just made me so sick because I thought, you're used to assaulting girls. Okay. And, and I was so angry just as a woman who's, you know, we've all been there in what, whatever ways we have. I was so angry that they had it on tape and that they hid it for so many years. I mean, they hid it. And, and that's what interests me because, you know, I, I read the, the record and you talked about how when you reported it, uh, a woman named Martha Bashford was at the time the head of the sex crimes unit in New York. And a woman interrogated you like you were the criminal. Yeah. And obviously we know that this is all too common for women. We're always asked, what were you wearing? And were you drinking? And it's like, no one's ever asked a rapist what he was wearing or how much he'd had to drink. You know, she asked you questions like, were you ever a prostitute? Have you ever gotten gifts from someone? Did you ask for a movie role? It's like, it's so, it's so disgusting. Yeah, it is. And, 
And I'm curious, what did that, what did that feel like? And did that add to your anger at how these situations are handled? hundred percent. Like I mm. knew I had this tape. Okay. And what the police told me to do a part of having the wire was recording with my iPhone. So mm. I turned on the recording with my iPhone and I put it in my bag and kept my bag and my shoulder all the time. So mm. I was recording all of this, you know, encounter um, of him talking to me all this time and, you know, trying to take me first to this second floor room and then at the end to the penthouse, you know, because he was really, really determined to take me to this room. Okay. Mm. So anyway, I had this on tape on my phone. I sent this recording to five different emails that I had at the time. And I was there because I, I said, like, I, I, this is very, very, very important. And and then, like, the police was super happy about, you know, what they got. They said he's going to jail. He's going to jail. 100% he's going to jail. And I was like, wow, this is, like, the most beautiful feeling I ever had in my life. You know, like, I put this guy behind bars for sure, and, and that's it. So then, like, a few days uh, after, like, a week passed by, okay? And it was Saturday. So Sunday was quiet. I had the police escorting me to a hotel because I felt paranoid, you know, for like a week I was there. And every single day after that, there was a front page of a newspaper. There was New York Post, Daily Mail, New York Post, Daily Mail with my face, me in bikini, me with whatever, like uh, looking like um, in a party or whatever, like trying to destroy my reputation because they didn't know mm -hmm. about the collaboration with the police they didn't know of anything and trying to say uh -huh. i asked for a movie role i i asked for money i wanted to blackmail him i had his wife saying like whatever things about me you know like because she didn't know of the recordings like of course right. like she he was wearing of his kid on his kids like he said i swear on your kids i'm not gonna do anything to you get in this room mm. and i'm like oh wow when these things is gonna go out you're going down like in my head i was thinking that and so anyway every single day yeah i mean for for a man to say i swear on my children it's like that's so disgusting worst thing ever i heard in my life and so every single day for a week that happened. Then I had the meeting with Mar Mar Marta Bashford and, and I was there and she started asking me questions like, have you ever been a prostitute? Explain me this situation in Italy. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's very long to explain, but I was right. And she's like, but have you ever got gift from people? Have you ever had like an old lover or have you ever like this and that? And I'm like, excuse me, have you heard the recordings? Like, in like in my mind, like I didn't know how to express myself perfectly, you know. Right now, I would say, listen, even if I was a prostitute, okay, what this is gonna like make difference with a recording tape? Like, okay, like is there like some right. difference because you know, like uh, I was a prostitute or I was a saint to these recordings? So you have proof. Right. Of recording. But this is a thing that bothers me so much about what happens to women is that there's this like Madonna whore complex and you're either this flawless person who nothing has ever happened to, who's never been sexual, or if, if you've ever been 
sexual or or just how to body people perceive as sexy, then then it's like you're going down and that's impossible because everyone perceives sexy differently. So you can never get it right or get it or, or you're wrong all the time. And it's like this idea that, that you would even have to say that first of all, no, you have not worked as a prostitute and it's insulting to say that you did. Second of all, if you were a sex worker would you be any less deserving of protection exactly would you would it would it be fair for a for a woman who does work in that in that field would it be fair for her to be assaulted when she's not working because of what she does for work no it's like it it puts us in this impossible position where in a way by denying by by telling the truth that you're not or you never have been. You're demeaning women who are. And then if you're defending women who are, you're saying that you did. And that no matter what, women are put in these impossible positions where we where we're denigrating each other in a way. And this woman was denigrating you and and trying to insinuate that if you'd ever had a boyfriend who was the age of your assaulter. You're, this man couldn't possibly have assaulted you. It's like, what does that even mean? Yeah, there is no no connection. So on that, and also I, I have a technical question because you made this, you you did the recording. You wore a wire. Did the police ever give you a copy of that audio file, or did you only have the audio file from your own iPhone? Just from my own iPhone. Wow. So you were never given your own evidence by the police? No. Interesting. No. And yeah, so anyway, in that moment of the the discussion between me and Marta Bashford, I felt like I was the one being accused of something. When like then at the end she walked out, I was like, this didn't go well. And like in my head, I was like, okay, I need to do something about, and I was already thinking, who can I trust to give those recordings to at the time? But I was so afraid because like I was trying to get in touch with different journalists, but I didn't know anyone. I was 22, just in New York since three weeks. I didn't know enough people. I was trying to get in touch to like so many. And I was like, I don't know who to trust. So I had to see in the front line of the newspaper the next day, not nobody calling me. So not the DA calling me, not anyone calling me. And I saw it in the news and the front page of the New York Post, I think. Harvey Weinstein will not be criminally charged for whatever. And I was like, are you serious? Nobody even told me. Like I had to see it on the first page of a newspaper to know that it would not be criminally charged. I was furious. I was like, I I mean, like I couldn't express it, but like in my head, I was thinking every single thing that was happening, like they are trying to really, really make me look stupid, you know? So anyway, I I got on on and on. And, and I had paparazzi following me everywhere. And I had uh, my lawyer telling me that Harvey wanted to like put these things aside and try to make me sign something. I was like, no, no, no. Every day I was telling him like, no, no, I'm sure these recordings is going to go, go get out. I'm going to find someone to give it to, you know, I'm never going to sign anything and this and that like for days. Okay. 
Then one day, my brother called me from Italy. And he said, Amber, listen, I have a journalist here at my, at my work and he's asking about you. And I'm like, where? In Italy? Who is this person? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I didn't say like a name. He said like, it was asking me a question if I was your brother. And I'm like, what? And then in my head, I started thinking like super weird stuff, like bad stuff. And, and I said, Claudia, just, just get home right now. Don't, don't go to work these days. Just stay home. Okay. You were worried for his safety. Oh, hundred percent. I didn't know what mm. could have happened. You know, like I didn't know like the amount of, like in my head, of course, if it's me, I could just go on a suicide, whatever, like mission. If it touched any person that I care of, of course I have to give up. Like I could never live my life knowing that someone got through, you know, like a situation because of me. So then I called my lawyer and I said, okay, I think I'm going to sign. And what happened next is that I signed an NDA. And I remember I got to this office and there was his lawyer and his lawyer was so nervous to meet me. And I talked to him like, oh, good evening. Um, he's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here, Amber. I'm sorry. Like, it's so embarrassing situation. Um, I know this is like not good, uh, but thank you for being here. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's not good. <laughs> but like, I was there anyway, you know, I didn't know what else to do. I was like having my hands tied up. But in my head, okay, I knew I kept a copy of the recording. Because what happened is that before signing, I should have gave all my recordings to be destroyed, access to all my emails, access to my phone, to everything. So they could have destroyed all the situation, like everything about him. And, and I said, okay. And then I remember like one day, um, I couldn't, whatever, I faked to not remember this password of this email that I sent the recording to. And, and I, I was acting very stupid at the time. I was trying to like, act like, oh, okay, I don't know what I'm doing type of, so that they would mm. not figure that I knew how to like copy without showing whatever, like the situation was like, I opened. You were playing, you were playing dumb to protect yourself. Exactly. So yeah, in a way I copied a, a, a recording. I, I copied the recording on a computer of a friend of mine, uh, opening an email uh, but not showing that I transferred the file. So then I closed it again and I called my lawyer saying like, Oh, I remember this is the pastor. You can give it to them. So whatever, like then it happened that I signed the contract in front of this lawyer, knowing that I had a copy of the recording. And I told him, you know, I'm signing this contract, but if I hear of him hurting anyone else, I would not care what I'm signing. And I told him, mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course, sure, absolutely. So that's it. I signed that contract, but then, like, I felt super bad. Like, I felt like I didn't fight enough or something. Like, I didn't know what else to do. Like, every single day I was thinking, what what could I do? Maybe now I could find someone to, like, give those recordings. Like, I was trying to find someone. Like, that's the thing. Like, I was praying every so day to find someone, you know? Mm. 
And so I got into signing, being afraid for your brother and your mom is what motivated you to sign the NDA. But even when you signed it, you felt you felt like it was wrong. Of course. I I would have not kept those recordings otherwise. Like Of course. But you but I I imagine you also felt like you didn't have a choice. It's like if they know if they know where your family lives and you know you see how powerful he is, it I I imagine it it felt like Italy all over again but worse. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And it strikes me as very interesting that they knew there was a recording that Harvey and his lawyers knew, which meant that the police had told them they knew that there was evidence. And that's probably why he was so scared. And I would imagine why you were so scared because if they believe that was the kind of evidence that could destroy him, you know, do, do you then worry that that's the kind of evidence that threatens your life? You know, it's a big it's a big thing you were carrying on your shoulders. You saw what happened with, when the recordings came out. Mm-hmm. Divorce, mm-hmm. lost job, everything. He got to jail. <laughs> that would have mm-hmm. happened in 2015 and I wouldn't lose two, three years of my life. You know, mm-hmm. like I knew it. I mean, coming forward obviously impacted your life in so many ways. When you said, you know, two to three years of your life you lost, what does that mean? Does, does that mean that you couldn't, work were people afraid to hire you you know what did it look like that what happened and also because i got into a very huge depression first year i gained like 30 pounds because i was stress eating and and so of course in modeling at the time it was not possible to do it in that condition but also like psychologically i wasn't able like the processing of my thoughts of like whatever, like I would think I was suicidal. I was like having all of these problems. Okay. So one year was that way. And then when I started getting better because I started working out again, I was in the Philippines and moved there. So I got back Mm -hmm. to myself, but every time like people were Googling me, I was Amber Batilana Gutierrez that was, you know, first in Italy you know, uh, described as an escort going to Berlusconi house. And second, uh, Mm. the one that blackmailed, like, like, you know, uh, a very famous person. (laughs) And then I was like, okay, I don't know what to do anymore. Should I call myself, I don't know, Samantha Red and just start a new life or just trying to embrace what's happening and try to think like there is a reason of why. So yeah. there was a reason. <laughs> and uh, and let's say that after two years and a half, I'm happy that I kept believing in myself, you know, and, and I attracted the right path. And I mm-hmm. met Ronan and Ronan <laughs> and I, like, uh, it, it was like an angel came in, on heart, let's say, for, for helping mm-hmm. me. Yeah, it, it was crazy. Yeah. What was your first conversation with Ronan like? On a phone? Yeah, just how how was the first conversation with him being able to open up to someone and and realizing that this was a person you could trust? I mean, I didn't know I was I, I could have trust him, but I don't know. Like I was in my prayers, I was always like asking, please send me somebody. I know it's gonna happen. Like I know someone is gonna hmm. come my way, you know. And suddenly, like this very weird call out of nowhere, you know. And he's like, oh, "Hello, my name is Ronan Farah," and I Google him, 
and I saw a little bit of his life and this and that. And he's like, oh, you know, like I'm like investigating about this situation because also like a few months before, like in October, I think, um, I found out about Rose McGowan that was, mm. you know, accusing of a, a rape, but not saying publicly mm-hmm. his name. It was like people saying it's Harvey Weinstein, but she's not like, mm-hmm. you know. So I was like, okay, because already in October, I was like mad because I heard about him raping someone. And I was like, okay, but this happened like very long time before. And I promised myself only if I heard of anyone after me, I would not, you know, like care of anything. So anyway, I was waiting and waiting. And then suddenly Ronan said, okay, I'm working with this uh, woman as well. And this other woman as well. And this other woman. And so I start speaking to him and I wanted to test him a little. So I was like, I met him one time, another time, another time, another somewhere, another somewhere like this and that and that. And then because I saw he was so passionate about like, you know, putting him in danger for like getting up this truth of him. I said, I can help you very much with something that I have. (laughs) And he's like, oh, okay, what is it? And I said, I have his voice admitting what he did to me on a recordings that I did with the police. And his eyes just went like, what? (laughs) Like, can I hear it? Can I hear it? What can I hear it? And I'm like, yeah, let's meet to some other place. So we went to this like Brazilian restaurant somewhere like midtown and it was empty and I had my old computer that I had my brother flew in to give me um, and I played this recording for the first time (laughs) and he was like oh my god Ambra this is it's like it's perfect and and I said I know just use it I know you're gonna use it right yeah so he went to get like speakers because I told him like record the recordings because I was afraid to give him through my USB, through my computer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was like unbelievable. I thought I was in a movie again. <laughs> and um, wow. yeah, so pretty much that's the story. Like he released the recordings the 10 of October 2017, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember that day, like, it was crazy. I was sitting at home and I started receiving tons of messages from people saying like, oh my God, Ambra, Ambra, I just heard this recording. Oh my God, I'm sorry. You were right. You were right. And this and that. All the people just came back. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Well, and it makes me think about how many women have had their stories downplayed or been told that they don't deserve to be believed because they haven't had recordings. Mm, Yeah. But these things have happened to them. I know. When we think about, you know, this, Harvey Weinstein became the example for how men in power often abuse women and abuse people. Uh, who they believe hold less power than them. When we think about his example, helping to launch Me Too and how it opened up 
channels to have these conversations about men in power in so many industries and what power does. When you look back at where Me Too began and how far it's come, is is there anything that you wish was handled differently? Do you do you have thoughts about where we still need to go? Yeah, no, 100%. Like the first thought of course is like I'm very selfless. I did everything because I thought of someone else. 100%. Okay? And I just feel a little like sad when I think of the fact that I, I really had to lose many years of my life to have these things then placed, let's say. And when yeah. instead in 2015, knowing that, you know, I exposed myself, there was nobody mm-hmm. there for me, you know, because I was the first, the first mm-hmm. that went out, that got punched and destroyed. And I was thinking like, I wish someone would have just give me a little help, you know, get in touch mm. with me in some way, like to not have all that life, you know, gone. And then second, I feel that, okay, we have the Me Too out. A lot of this situation are happening and we know it right now. But let's, mm-hmm. again, think selflessly. Let's work to not have this type of situation happen anymore. Okay, for others, not for us, for others. Let's try to dedicate all of this power that we have right now in our words to help other people, to change the law, to, you know, like right now I'm working with organizations that are like, first of all, for models with Model Alliance, for example. So we're working um, to help um, models' rights to not be exploded, you know, how it is in this world. Mm -hmm. It's very tricky. And also another organization in New York as well called Safe Horizon that is trying to change law about um, removing the statute of limitation for, you know, abuse victims that mm-hmm. had no possibility to seek justice in the past to try to reopen, you know, their cases to civilly sue their abuser. So right now we're trying to pass this. We're trying to really push that for the state of New York. I think in New Jersey already passed. I'm not sure. But like for New York, it's kind of like um, complicated still. They passed the Child Survivors Act. So like uh, abused children can reopen their case. And and they started like already in 2019. So now they're trying to prolong the, the timing. Um, but this is something that would be amazing for for the victims to feel, you know, they can heal, but also to give the, the right example to people that are still doing this type of things that yeah. nothing is going to be hide anymore, you know? So, yeah. And people can't really heal without justice. It can't just be on the victim to do the work and go to therapy and get over it. Justice has to happen so that abusers realize they can't continue abusing people. I feel that the moment Harvey Weinstein got behind bars, so many people that even thought for a little minute, like microsecond, that they could get out, you know, with whatever they're doing, they're not doing it Mm -mm. now. 
No. Because it's always coming. Even if it takes time, it's coming. Yes. What was your reaction when you saw the verdict? You know, Harvey is now a convicted rapist and and sexual predator. What what did that feel like? It it, it was like f- freezing time. Like it it was kind of like that's something I visualized for so much during the time that I was just trying to imagine like a better reality for me that like in that moment I was mm. like wow you know like I couldn't believe it like the moment that they convicted him like it happened so Friday they had the the jury when um uh they had to like still um decide okay so Friday I was waiting all day then they didn't decide so I spent the Saturday and the Sunday like just eating Mm. uh, trash food and like doing like crazy things because I was so nervous, you know, on waiting for Monday. Okay. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting. So Monday comes and I'm like waking up early, getting ready and like going to the court because I wanted to be there, you know? And, and then like suddenly I was home almost on the way to, to the, to the tribunal. And I got a message guilty. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I was started screaming. I started crying. I was jumping all over my place. I was like, I just thought of all these other women, you know, that like had to go through the hands of this person, you know, and knowing that right now they have the justice they deserve and not even just the small justice. Like, cause I was thinking that the DA that was handling that case in like my case in 2015, that trashed me away was also handling the same case. Okay. I, I didn't have hope on anything in New York. I was hoping for LA cause I have to testify in LA and I will be, um, part of that. In, in LA. They didn't call me New York. Okay. They didn't play my recordings. They didn't call me New York. Like, oh, it's obvious that the DA is trying to avoid me. Okay. In New York. So I was like, whatever. Like, I just want him to go to jail for the other women. Like, they were great. They're like, you know, doing a lot of work and I'm, I'm happy. Whatever is going to happen. Like, I want him in jail. So like, I was not believing it. I thought that New York would never give him 23 years. Like, wow. it's crazy. So I was happy. I was celebrating. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I feel like I have nothing else to fight for. You know, like everything is good now. I just have to concentrate myself into my life, rebuilding everything I lost. And thankfully, I'm doing it right now with the help of many people that believe in me and and yeah, I'm working on, on so many things. So yeah. That's so great. And it just reminds me that we can never give up because there were so many times when you were told that this story wasn't going to get out mm-hmm. and you didn't let it go. And Ronan didn't let it go. And so many of the women didn't let it go. And I just think that it's so incredibly important to remember that if you just keep telling the truth it's going it's going to matter yes do you do you have a message for young men and young women right now about what you've learned about why they should report the things that happened to them about 
how to how to stay strong enough to to see it through. Yeah. I believe in karma a lot and that moment that I heard that again really mm-hmm. made me realize okay, it happened before and now it's happening to me, but what if next time is my daughter or or mm-hmm. my cousin or my sister or you know, mm-hmm. someone else that would be close to me that I would see suffer. As I said, mm-hmm. I was suicidal. Think of these people that would lose, you know, like very, very close people just because of like a traumatic situation that you didn't report. Just report things. Right now, the justice is on your side. The media is on your side. You have the possibilities, mm-hmm. you know, to to be listened. Just do it. Because like, you are able now to be a hero in saving people's lives, beca- be, being selfless and do it then, mm-hmm. you know? So that's the only thing. Cause I, I really realized that my life would have no meaning if I didn't help other people. So that's like yeah. what makes me happy. And so I hope that other people would understand it as well. Yeah. And there's strength in numbers. 100%. Yeah. So things are obviously looking up there. There's been a, I wouldn't say a, a, a repair, but at least a beginning to rebalance some of the scales where justice is concerned. When you, when you think about things getting better, getting back to work, where do you want to start? What are, what are you working on now? Yeah, uh, of course, I'm still doing the modeling because I feel like I I love the way it makes me feel like being part of this artistic expression. I love everything about it from the behind the scene to the makeup to the designing of the clothes to becoming right, really part of it. I love it. And of course, like I'm trying to gather every information about my life into a documentary and a dramatized series. And I'm working with this amazing team that it's from New York and, and they're helping developing everything. Uh, because I feel that also growing up in my life, I learned a lot from movies. I learned a lot from <laughs> documentaries, you know, because like my family wasn't really, um, let's say di- didn't have so much time, you know, because of course there was, um, problems of, working a lot and this type of thing. So I learned a lot from movies. Like something that really inspired about the wiring was this movie of um, the lady with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. I felt like that movie that I saw when I was 19 years old just had me saying like, I would do that if I can, you know, like I want to punish someone like that. So I don't know, like in my mind, just got to that point. Like I saw this movie, like I want to be her, you know? And I feel that this type of situation that I went through and I can talk back to like really my childhood to now can teach something to someone just to Uh say like, uh you're not alone. And these are the mistakes that I've done. And these are the things I could have done better. And these are the things that I've done. And so I want to give you the instructions or whatever it happened so that nothing like this is going to be repeated. So I'm doing this and I hopefully can, 
you know, have these shown into schools and, and wherever like people really uh, need to, to learn and like, you know, get the information that they need, you know, because like there's yeah. so much out there that even for me, when I was 22, I didn't know what to do. So I, yeah, I'm trying just to gather all of this information and, and yeah, hopefully it's something that um, is gonna, is gonna happen. Then, yeah, of course, now in quarantine, I'm painting a lot. So I hopefully one day gonna be able to call myself a painter. <laughs> That's <laughs> something I would love to do. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, my last question for you, and thank you so much for all of your time and your vulnerability and and for reminding people that there's always a very real human being involved in in the things we read about. Um, but my last question for you is the podcast is called Work in Progress. And I'm curious when you when you hear the phrase, what what comes to mind as a work in progress in your life right now? Well, I can say that I learned through experiences and I mm. I really jump into situation even if I'm not feeling ready. Because like deep inside, mm -hmm. I'm still like a very insecure person, you know, like I know that I need to mm. learn so much and anything and, you know, just do things, you know, just do it. Don't think too much about it. Just do it. You know, that's yeah. like the most thing I could say about me as a work in progress like mm. try new things all the time that's that's the thing like just keep working on yourself and yeah like that that's the thing for about me like even now trying to to develop something I've never done before just for the sake of helping someone else I know I'm not <laughs> I, I don't know where to start and anything but I'm doing it so just just do it that that's the yeah, the thing I could say. Just have faith and go. <laughs> yes, faith and go. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, thank you just for everything. I mean, for not giving up and for never losing your moral compass and for knowing that you had to talk about what happened to you so that hopefully it wouldn't happen to other women. Yeah. It's... It's such a crazy, such a crazy thing that we've dealt with for so long. And I, I really hope that shedding light on it really does begin to make the change we all deserve. I hope so as well. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. Like we're many people moving now to the right way. So let's keep doing it together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. This show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. Our editor is Josh Windish. And our music was written by Jack Garrett and produced by Mark Foster. This show is brought to you by Brilliant Anatomy.